So it's time to go to work. Out of honor for the word of the Lord, would you stand with me, please? Let me read to you a very boring, very, very boring piece of scripture. Okay? But there are names in here if you can, I'd like you to try and remember. This is Matthew chapter 1. Most people, when they read Matthew chapter 1, they immediately go to verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus was like this. They don't read the first 17 verses because it's all this boring family stuff. And, uh, but I'm going to read you a couple of these boring family verses. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judas or Judah. That's an important, that's an important word here. Judah and his brothers. Judah begat Perez and Zerah of Tamar. That might not mean much to you right now, but that's important. That Judah had Perez with a woman named Tamar. And Perez begat Ezram, Ezram had Aram, Aram had Aminadab, Aminadab begat Naason, Naason begat Salmon. It's a big deal, this guy. It looks like the fish, but it's, it's not salmon, it's Salmon. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. Now Rahab, she's a real colorful character in the Bible. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. Jesse, of course, was the father of David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. That's enough. I want to teach you something called when your mess becomes your message. All right? Your mess becomes your message. So if you have a good attitude, sit down. And I haven't been here for a while, so uh, I feel a long, dry sermon coming on. So uh, I have always enjoyed studying places in the Bible that nobody else goes to. Um, A couple months ago, I did a series of lessons called My Love Affair with Leviticus. And uh, people thought that was so strange until you start getting into it and you realize there's a lot of great stuff in what most people consider a very, very boring place in the Bible. And one place I've spent a lot of time through the years is with these genealogies, these family trees. And the reason I did it is because I, there's a scripture in Timothy and it says, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. All of it, not just parts of it, all of it. And it said, it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. Now, it's not original with me, but I, I read it came across this years ago, and it said, doctrine is what is right. And then reproof is when you tell someone what is not right. And then correction is how to get right. And instruction is how to stay right. So I always like that little spin on that verse. And... Uh, Peter said that the word, the Bible that we have, didn't come just because it was the will of men, but it said holy men spoke as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. And um, I'll give you an example. The Bible said men bring out of their house something old and something new. So I'll do that today, give you some things that some of you have heard and and others that you haven't. But um, I... I was, I was studying Methuselah and these songs. It's uncanny how Draylon does this because him and I do not 
can, I don't tell him what I'm going to speak on, but invariably every weekend he's in sync with me, and today was no exception because Methuselah is accredited, of course, with being the oldest man in the Bible. And I wondered why. Why did he live so long? And um, I, 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 I am convinced the reason he lived as long as he did is he is a great example of the mercy of God. And in other words, um, you, uh, the mercy of God's going to last longer than you. Amen. And you won't live long enough to outlast his mercy. And, and one of the heaviest and what some people would call the most depressing book in the Bible is a very small book called Lamentations. And it is the lamenting of a prophet, Jeremiah. And uh, it's why he's referred to as the crying or the weeping prophet. And, and Lamentations is, is, is his weeping, what he's so overwhelmed with. And yet, right in the middle of the book of Lamentations is this verse. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And the word new is a, is a Hebrew word, shadash, which, which means literally new. And, and you know, you go to the grocery store and it's always new and improved, which it's not new, it's the other stuff. They may have improved it, but it's basically the old stuff with a new Band-Aid on it. But when you do this original language and it says his mercies are new every morning, it, it literally means that. It means today you and I have access to an aspect of his mercy that has never existed before. It, it, it's, it's never, this, it's, this is a one day deal. It's, it's, it lasts for today. Tomorrow there's going to be a brand new mercy. That, but, but that's how great God is, that every day he can give us a different aspect and facet of his mercy. And, and it's, it's pretty amazing because it, it got me thinking about Methuselah. And so in the original language, Methuselah comes from two Hebrew words, mouth shalak. And when you, when you literally translate the word Methuselah, it, it means when I die, it will come. And so, if, if you do your homework in Genesis, Methuselah was 187 years old when he had his boy Lamech. Lamech was 182 years old when he had a boy by the name of Noah. But in the seventh chapter of Genesis, it's very specific. And I've tried to showed these things to you in the past about when, when the Bible's this specific, you need to take mention of it. Because in the seventh chapter of Genesis, it said that the flood came in the 600th year of Noah's life. So I, I can account for 600 years, and I know that his dad Lamech was 182 years old when he was born. And I know that Lamech's dad, Methuselah, was 187 when he was born. So all you do is do the math. 187 plus 182 plus 600 
is 969. When he died, it came. The flood came on the earth. And, and I always wondered whatever happened in school when that kid got the flu. Because <laughs> his name was literally a prophecy. Something bad going to happen when I check out. And so when, when, when that happened to me, I still remember the day. It was such a, uh, my, my, my oldest daughter, she's quite cynical. And she says, Daddy, you need some new stories. And I said, I don't need, I got great stories. I don't need new stories. I just need a new audience. Because people that have never heard my stories really like my stories. But this is my story, you know. This happened to me. And I, I, I remember the day thinking, if Methuselah means that much, I wonder if those other names mean anything. So I was in Genesis chapter 5 and I started at Adam. And most of you know the word Adam translates into man. And so you got Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother, Abel. They have another boy by the name of Seth. And it said he was appointed by the Lord. And literally the word or the name Seth means appointed. So I kept going. He had a boy named Enosh, which means frail or mortal. Enosh had a boy named Kenan, means sorrow. Kenan had a boy named Mahalaleel, which means blessed God. Mahalaleel had a boy named Jared, which means shall come down. Jared, of course, gave birth to Enoch, and the name Enoch means teaching. Enoch is the dad of Methuselah, whose name means his death shall bring. Methuselah is the father of Lamech, which means despairing. Lamech is the father of Noah, which means rest. I still remember, right? And it was like, oh! And this is what it says. Man is appointed unto mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. And it's there. And it's there early. The message of the cross. All the way back in those names. All the way from the beginning. Which does nothing more than validate one of my favorite scriptures. It's in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. It said, I'm God and there's none else. I'm God and there's none like unto me. And then he said, declaring the end from the beginning. So if you want to understand the end, you have to be a student of the beginning. That's why it says in Corinthians 10, all these things happened unto them. It's talking about Moses and, and Israel. and All these things happened unto them. But they're examples for us. There's a great scripture in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. It says the things written aforetime or the things written in the Old Testament were written for our learning. Not theirs, for our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the scripture might have hope. And so I was, I was always fascinated with Joseph. And I personally believe Joseph is the greatest type or example of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And, you know, you, when you study creation, I think there's five words. He made the stars also. He made the stars. Five words, stars. Pow. There's 13 chapters about Joseph in a row. If you start at Genesis 37 and go through the end of the book, chapter 50, every chapter is about Joseph. So if he's got 13 chapters dedicated to him, 
I think it's a big deal. And we ought to take some time to study it. There's, here's Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. This, this is a guy that, that when he died, he knew one day they were going to get out of Egypt. And he basically said, don't bury me too deep, boys. Because before you get out of here, you go by the cemetery and you dig my box up and you carry me into Canaan. And he gave commandment concerning his bones. Listen to this verse. This is Exodus 1 and verse 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. We started a new church in in Royal Oak two years ago. And... It, I always wanted a church in Royal Oak because in the 50s, one of the largest Pentecostal churches in America was in Royal Oak, Michigan. And, and, and uh, it fell on hard times and, and uh, the pastor died in a plane crash and, and it was just a mess. The church disbanded. The good people were spared. They went to area churches, but they, they owned an entire city block in Royal Oak. I have no idea what that would be worth today. Cabillions. And so I always wanted to find the grave of this guy, C.C. Kirby. And uh, everybody says Charles Kirby was his name. And um, I, 20 years I've been looking for this grave. Because I, I wanted to take a group, and I will, I'll take a group of young ministers and sit them around that grave and say, now let me tell you the story of something really tragic that happened here years ago. And try to warn them not to make those mistakes. And so... Um, Someone told me he's in Whitechapel Cemetery. So I went to Whitechapel, not once, but twice. And, and the lady said, he's not here. We pride ourselves on our records. He's not here. So a couple months ago, John Sexton called me. And he said, this is the 60th anniversary of the death of Charles Kirby. And uh, I said, John, I've been trying to find that guy's grave for a long time. I haven't been able to find it. Brother Blasick, who is a faithful man that goes here, probably two years ago, he said, he's in Resurrection Cemetery. I found him for you, Brother Hobbit. He's in Resurrection Cemetery. Well, I know there's a cemetery on Royal Oak called Resurrection, and it's a tr- little sliver of land, if you know, between Main Street and, what is it, Rochester Road, whatever. It's just, huh? Yes. And it's just, it, it's, it's just, but it's full. You, there's no graves there now. And so, I spent an entire day going through Resurrection Cemetery and I couldn't find him. And so I'm talking to John Sexton. He said, he's in Whitechapel. I said, I thought he was too, but they say he's not there. I said, do some homework and find out. And so he he called me back and he said, I have some friends. His last name is Justice. Chuck Justice used to go here years ago before he moved and and, um, said, mom and dad's buried by Kirby in Whitechapel. And I said, okay. So I went back to the office at Whitechapel and the lady said, he's still not here. <laughs> and so I said, well, I, do you have these people? Their last name is Justice. Do you know where they are? And, and, and this, she said, uh, well, let's look. And she went, oh yeah, they're in resurrection. And I said, what's resurrection? She said, well, we have so much property here. 
we have different names for the parcels. Uh, we have dozens and dozens of acres here. So one of the big pieces of land that we have is called Resurrection Cemetery. So that, I knew I was getting close because Brother Blassie told me Resurrection. So then they said, there's an old gentleman that's worked here for a long time. And they called him in there and they said, do you know where Charles Kirby's grave is? He said, yeah, it's right over there in Resurrection. And so I went over there and, and unfortunately Whitechapel's getting kind of long in the tooth and, and it was, uh, I found his grave and I, it, was, it was unkept and I pulled the weeds and, and uh, glad to finally find a guy's grave. My point is that's 60 years ago and very few people had any idea where the guy was. And he, at one time he was a very, very prominent pastor in this area. So you tell me, what do you have to do to influence national policy for 300 years? Because it took 300 years for finally a king to get on the throne that didn't have any idea who Joseph was. He's a big deal in the Bible. And, and if you've been following me, I said 37 through 50, and then I said there was 13 chapters. But... I know some of you quicker ones already figured this out. There's 14 chapters. And you're right, there are. But there's one chapter that's out of sync. Every chapter from 37 through 50 is about Joseph except one. There's one that just has nothing to do with Joseph at all. But it has everything to do with Joseph's older brother Judah. And, and, and Judah, his, his oldest boy was married to this woman named Tamar. And I don't know what he did. The Bible's very, very, it's just very moot on the point. But, but there's a verse in, in, in um, uh, Genesis chapter 38. It says, and Judah took a wife for Ur. It's almost like Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And, 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 and Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and God killed him. I don't know what he did, but God killed him. And so he really was a Ur, you know, what an error Ur was. And so back then in that culture, if your brother died, your next boy supposed to take his brother's widow and marry her and take care of her, which the next boy did. But this is what it says in verse 10. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. So God kills boy number two. So now she's twice widowed. Well, he's got one more boy left. And he tells his daughter-in-law, when, 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 when he gets old enough, I'll let him marry you. But I think the boy and dad got together and said, dude, this woman's a black widow. Well, no, I ain't marrying her, daddy. I don't blame you. And as the boy got older, she realized her, her, her father-in-law had lied to her. So it said she veiled herself. He's on a business trip. He saw her. It said he thought she was a prostitute. So they spend the evening together. I, my, my dad used to talk about one of my relatives. He said, he's got short arms and deep pockets, Harold. Short arms and deep pockets. He said, whenever we went out to eat, he was always saying, I'll get this, buddy, I'll get this. But he said he never could quite reach down far enough to get his money. It just, 
His arms were about six inches away from his wallet. And that's, so this guy, the next morning, it's time to pay for services rendered. He doesn't have any money. And she said, okay, I want that ring, which is important. It's a signet ring. And, and it's not just any thing that you got in a Cracker Jack box here. This is, this is equivalent to your signature. It's a, it's a legally binding when it was stamped into clay on a document. So it's a big deal. And she took his staff, which was a stick that was passed down generation to generation. He wants his stuff back. So he comes back the next day with the money to pay this woman, except all the other gals say, you know, we don't, we don't know where she came from. She's gone. So he's lost his signet ring and he's lost his family staff. About five months later, someone tells him, Tamar has played the harlot and she's pregnant. And Mr. Self-Righteous father-in-law said, oh, we'll stone her to death then. So they get pregnant Tamar out in the middle of these guys with a bunch of rocks. And he said, would you at least, do you even know who the dad of this kid is? And she says, yeah, you recognize that ring? And I got your stick in my house. And just humiliated him. And that is a part of this very boring verse that I read to you here. And Judah beget Perez of Tamar. And anybody that says the Bible's not exciting, it, this, this is really saucy. This is like inquiring minds want to know. You know, this is better than fake book any day. All right? And, and, and it, it, it's, it's just, there's all these stories here. You got Abraham and Lot. They have, Lot has this, or Abraham has this massive herd, flocks and herds. You know, herds were cows flocks were sheep and goats. He gives some of it to his nephew. Well, they've got so many of them, it said the shepherds were fighting. So it should have been the nephew, but of course the old man takes the low road and said, all right, Lot, you choose what, what you want. I'll take the leftovers. And this is what it says. And Lot chose the well-watered plains of Sodom. So this is chapter 13 and verse 12 of Genesis. It says that Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. He's not living there, but every day he wakes up and opens up the door to his house, he sees Sodom, which of course to this day carries with it the problem in that, in that place. One, exactly one chapter later, in 14 and 12, this is what it says, and Lot dwelt in Sodom. Five chapters later in Genesis 19, it says that Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. You have to understand back then, there's the, remember, remember Jesus chose a, a guy named Matthew who was a tax collector. And it said he sat at the receipt of custom by the gate. Because these are walled cities. And these gates are natural funnels of ingress and egress. And so the tax man would just sit there. Sooner or later, you got to come by him. So the real estate around these gates is highly prized pieces of turf. And when it says that Lot is sitting in the gate at Sodom, he's not just down there telling stories with his old pals. He's involved in the politics of that city. An angel comes to visit him 
because of Abraham's prayer, trying to save the city for 10 righteous. The men of that city, someone asked me a great question today. It said the cry of that city came before the Lord. And they said, well, if they couldn't find 10 righteous people, who were the people that cried unto the Lord? So between services, I did my homework. And this is what the Hebrew said. The men who had been repeatedly raped in the city called out for vengeance unto God. And what it is, is this, this is an angel, but it looks like a man. The men come to Lot's house and said, bring your guest out. We want to know him. We're not talking Pictionary here and, and you know, uh, whatever. It, it says, and Adam knew his wife. It's the same word. Big hearted Lot says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you my girls. You molest my girls, okay, but leave my guests alone. That's how messed up they were. It said the angel, while they lingered, the angel of the Lord grabbed Lot and his wife and his two girls and literally drug them out of the city and said, run, just take off running. Whatever you do, don't you look back. Of course, Lot's wife did. This is what the Bible said. She's still there to this day. Somewhere in that desert, what looks like just a little bump of a rock used to be a man's wife. We're supposed to remember her. Not, we don't know how beautiful she was. We don't know how wealthy she was. We do not know how educated she was. But she represents a segment of society that got out of Sodom, but you couldn't get Sodom out of her. And she had to look back. She's gone. You get a little insight into how messed up these kids are because he's got two older daughters. They get their dad drunk and in two successive nights, these girls lie with their father and both of them end up carrying a child by their own dad. And it produces two boys, Ammon and Moab. And if you do your homework in the Old Testament, Ammon and Moab and their people are royal pains in the backside of Israel for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's just, it, 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 they're sworn enemies of Israel. So now I go to Ruth chapter one. And in Ruth chapter one and verse one, it says, it came to pass when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. If you are familiar with the text, Bethlehem means house of bread. Judah means place of praise. So the word, the compound word Bethlehem Judah is a type. House of bread, place of praise. It's what the church ought to be. There ought to be man not living by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, the living bread there ought to be living bread here and this house should always be full of worship. I, I don't want to go to a quiet church. I, I, I'm just telling you, I don't. I, I've had people, I'm, I'm not baiting you. I'm just, I've had people over through the years say, man, this place is way too loud. And I just tell them, well, in eternity, what kind of noise do you want to hear? You think hell's going to be quiet? The Bible said to be weeping, wailing. But here's the flip side. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power and might forever and ever and ever. In eternity, you're going to have to decide what kind of noise you want to hear. 
And, 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 and in type, they're living in Bethlehem, Judah. There's a famine. He leaves. Doesn't pray, just leaves. It's really sad. On, on one hand, that's why I keep telling you, we cannot afford the luxury of having one dead service. Oh, it's just Bible class. No, 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 no. Listen to me, folks. It's just exploit the moment when you're in the house of God and having access to the word of the Lord. Take advantage of that. This guy goes, his name is, uh, his name is uh, Elimelech. He takes his wife, Naomi. They got two boys. The boys married girls from Moab. He said he went to sojourn. You know what the word sojourn means? I'm just going for a little while. I read something a long time ago. He said, this is the problem with sin. It's going to take you further than you thought you would ever go. It's going to keep you longer than you ever thought you would stay. And it's going to cost you more than you ever thought it was going to cost. This man goes there. He dies. His two boys die. Now we got three widows. Naomi, Ruth, Orpah. Naomi said, I'm going back home. Her two daughter-in-laws go out, start bawling and squalling. Orpah says, you know what? I love you, but this is my home. I'm going to stay here. But Ruth says, don't ask me to stay here. I'm, I'm going to go with you. Your people are going to be my people. Wherever you get buried, I'm going to be buried. Your God's going to be my. The reason that's so precious to me, that's what my wife quoted to me 40 years ago when we got married. And, and it was always special to me. And, 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 and they go back. They go back. But what you have to realize is Elimelech skipped town without paying his bills. And these two widows, Naomi and the namesake of the book, Ruth, they're gleaners. I, I was reading recently about um, Persian rugs and, and, and a, a, real, a real Persian rug is, is a series of knots. A real Persian rug has as many as 1,800 knots per square inch. It takes these women years to make one of these rugs. And they sell them for a couple hundred bucks. And recently in Christie's, uh, a, a legitimate Persian rug sold for $2.8 million. So it was a, but, but, but the man, you, you know, was talking about the history and, and it was very, very rich. And these rugs are absolutely beautiful. But he said, in less than 20 years you will not be able to purchase a legitimate Persian rug. He said, because all the women, the old women are dying and the young women don't want those bent over backs of their grandmas. And when I heard that, I thought of Ruth and the, the gleaners that, that, that they're, they're reaping the harvest and every now and then something would fall between the rows. And these women spend their entire day picking up one grain of wheat after another. So they divide one day. Naomi goes one way, Ruth goes another. When they come back together, Ruth's got this giant basket of wheat. And her mother-in-law said, where did you get that? And she said, man, they were loading it on a wagon and something spilled and, and the boss said, go. And everybody left, mom. And I, look at this. And she said, Whose field were you in? She said, ah, oh, Bob, Bob, Boaz. <gasps> and Naomi's eyes lit up because she knew it's family. I wish I had time to teach you something called the kinsman redeemer. Because there was a law in Israel 
that if your husband died and he left debt, you could get out of debt, but you needed a relative to pay off your debt. You needed a kin redeemer. And, and there's three things the kinsman redeemer has to be. Number one, he's got to be very close relative. He can't be distant. He's got to be a very, very close relative. Number two, he's got to have the resources and the ability to pay off your debt. And number three, most important of all, he's got to be willing to pay off your debt. It is a great Old Testament picture of Jesus. Because ladies and gentlemen, there's only one legal liquid that can deal with sin and that's blood. And if God who is spirit remains spirit, he's not going to be able to redeem anybody. So God takes on flesh and comes really close to us. He becomes a close relative because not only does he have the resources to deal with our sin, he's got the willingness to pay the price for your sin and for mine. And just to give you the cliff notes, Ruth marries Boaz. And, and yahoo, they, they fall into a money pit. And, and, and all the shame is gone. And, 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 and Naomi becomes a grandma. And, 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 and Ruth and Boaz have a boy and uh, he's, he's pretty special because his name is Obed and, and <laughs> here's what fascinates me when Elimelech and Naomi went to Moab there are three verses in the book of Psalms that says Moab is my wash pot it, it, as a, there are verses in the Old Testament where God wants nothing to do with Ammon or Moab, the incestuous results of Lot and his two daughters. And, and, but what you're going to find is that Ruth ends up living in Moab. She marries Boaz. And you're probably wondering, why, why, why are you telling me this? Because the Bible tells the story about Joshua leading, wanting Israel to go into the land of Canaan and spy out the land. And so they got to have a place to hide. So they hide in a prostitute's house by the name of Rahab. And even though she's a woman of the night, she tells them, we have heard what your God has done for you. And I'm asking you would, you, would you be merciful to me and my family? And one of the spies said, hang a scarlet cord out of your window. I, I wish I had time, not red, scarlet. I wish I had time to teach you about that. Don't have time. But when Jericho's walls fell down, Rahab's house was standing and no one was injured in her house. <laughs> and she's a prostitute. <laughs> but she marries a prince by the name of Salmon. <laughs> and and, and it's, it's really fascinating because Salmon is so, he's so respected in the book of Psalm 68. He has a mountain named after him. And, and I think you're wondering, why, why, why did you interrupt this, the story of Ruth? Because if it wasn't for the harlot Rahab, there would have been no Boaz. 
<laughs> because Boaz's mom was a, used to be prostitute by the name of Rahab. Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer that saved not only the reputation of Naomi by marrying Ruth, but, but literally, <laughs> he's the son of a prince and a prostitute. <laughs> so when, when, when Ruth married Boaz, they had this boy named Obed. Obed's got a boy named Jesse. Jesse's got a boy named David, which means David's great-grandmother was Ruth from Moab, which was the washpot, who married the son of a woman who used to be a prostitute. And it's just, listen, here's Matthew 1 and 6. And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. You talk about saucy stuff. David's got a great friend by the name of Uriah. David has an affair with his best friend's wife. She gets pregnant. David wants to protect his reputation. So because of his influence, he ends up sending his best friend, Uriah, to the front line. You ever heard of a name of anybody named Ahithophel? Does that name mean anything to any of you? Most people have no idea who Ahithophel was. Because years later, David's boy, Absalom, led a rebellion against his own father. And tried to kill his own dad, David, so he could take the throne. But the one that was advising Absalom to stand up against David is this old man by the name of Ahithophel. And it means nothing until you do your homework. Ahithophel is the daddy of Uriah. And he saw David kill his boy years ago. And he never got over it. And now you've got this baby dying. Uriah's dead. And they have two more children. And all of a sudden, when the third one shows up, Bathsheba asked David, we need a name for this boy. And he said, I got the name. We're going to call him Nathan. Nathan, isn't that the name of the prophet that confronted you and shamed you publicly with our affair? Yes. But if it wasn't for his confronting me, I would have never found a place of repentance in the eyes of the Lord. And after David resolved his bitterness with his pastor, they have a boy by the name of Solomon, who is an amazing, uh, what I'm trying to show you, this is a mess. This, this, this is a, this, this, when you talk about your gene pool, we're not talking avion here, ladies and gentlemen. This is sewer water. You got incest, you got molestation, you got murder on it, but this is the lineage of Jesus Christ. This is where the Messiah came from. What an absolute disaster of a family. There, 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 there are four women mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. Tamar, who had an affair with her own father-in-law. Rahab, who used to be a prostitute. Ruth, who came from the wash pot. And Bathsheba, who, who, who messed around with, 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 with her husband's best friend. It's, this is an absolute mess. But, 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 but the Lord is able to take a mess and turn it into a miracle. And from this mess comes the Messiah, who's the savior of the world. What are the odds of that? How do you write that kind of stuff? But I'm t- I can go through you, example, it's just, look, how many times did God use messy people? To, to, to do miraculous stuff. 
here, here's Saul, Saul of Tarsus, or what we call the Apostle Paul. It's, this is Acts chapter 9. I'll give you a million dollars. I don't have a million, but I, I, I know I'm going to win this bet. So I can bet 10 million if I want to. I'll, gi- I'll give you a million bucks if you can find me anywhere in the Bible where Saul of Tarsus ever wanted to repent and ever questioned his motives. He, he's riding on the road to Damascus. All of a sudden, wham, his rear end is right in the middle of the road. And he said, who in the world are you? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And he said, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting that, that stupid bunch of zealots. And then and what he's trying to say is, you touched my church. And when you touch my church, it's the equivalent of touching me. If we'll walk in step with Jesus Christ and people come in contact with the church, they ought to come in contact with something good, something clean, something powerful. Jesus' name. I mean, Paul, Paul admits in the book of Acts, he killed people. I showed you, I really believe Saul or whatever you want to call him, Saul of Tarsus or Paul, same guy. He, he played an active role in the death of John's brother James because he pressured Herod to kill this guy. It's just, what, what a messy life Saul of Tarsus had. But he turned out to be the greatest missionary the world has ever known. Look at Peter, one of the first guys that Jesus ever called. I, this, 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 this guy says, I, I recognize you. The Bible said Peter cut his ear off. Read, read your Bible. He's Malchus, watch. The, he, is, he is the officer of the high priest. People said he was a Roman soldier. No, 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 no. This is a guy that works for the high priest of the Jewish temple. See, Peter's not a trained swordsman. He wasn't aiming for the ear. He's aiming for right here. But he's three inches off. He slices the guy's ear off. Jesus reaches down, picks up the ear, sticks it back on the side of his head. Because what you have to understand, you're talking about the guy's livelihood. Because according to the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, you can't work in the temple if you're an amputee. You've got to have all your body parts. Everything's got to be right in ducks in a row. If something's missing, you don't, this guy would have lost his job. And I'm thinking of them being in the locker room that evening after Jesus is dead. And they're taking off their armor and they're taking off their greaves. And these guys are yelling and joking like they do in locker room. Yeah, that guy said he was the Messiah. Hey, 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 Malchus, what do you think about that? And he's pulling on his ear and said, I don't know. I don't know. You're going to deny me three times and then the rooster's going to preach you under conviction. And did it ever happen? He cussed. You're one of them. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Blankety blank. No, I'm not. I yell at you. And again, three, and all of a sudden, cock a doo doo You just did it. And he was so ashamed. I can prove to you what happened for the next three days. I know what happened after Peter denied Jesus. He died, he was in the grave, he rose again on the third day. I know, I know what happened on the third day. When the book of Acts is written in Acts chapter one, it said 
He showed himself alive after his passion. You ever heard of a passion play? When they do the reenactment of the resurrection of Jesus? Same thing. Watch, in Acts chapter 1 it said, He showed himself alive after his passion, being seen of them 40 days. But I know according to my Bible, in the Old Testament, there's got to be 50 days between first fruits and Pentecost. And he told them to go to Jerusalem and tarry until you be endued with power from on high, and then he left. So how long did they pray? 10 days. Why? Because in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. So get the chronology. Pete denies Jesus. I know what happened for the next three days. I know what happened for the 40 after that, so I've accounted for 43 days. I know they've got 10 days of prayer. So after 53 days, Holy Ghost is poured out. And guess who the guy is that stands up and preaches the first sermon in an apostolic service? The guy that had denied Jesus less than two months ago. But the Lord put Humpty Dumpty back together again and took that very messy life and turned him into a minister. preaching and teaching to somebody here today, I want you to know there's a Lord that can turn your mistakes into a miracle. I, I, see, ladies and gentlemen, you, you can't even write the word message without first writing the word mess. And if you really want a great message, great messages come out of great messes. And I'll prove it to you. She can't be here today because her boy got, got the virus, so they're quarantining for 14 days. But Talisha Gibbs goes to this church. And I'm not going to go into all the detail, but she had the, 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 she had the teenage years from hell. And when she got up and told us her testimony that day, I'm cringing because I'm saying, oh, honey, don't say that. Don't say that. But that girl who, 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 who was molested and, and, oh, Jesus, and all the hell and the horror that she went through a couple years ago felt burdened to create something called HEART, which is an acronym for Healing the Effects of Abortion-Related Trauma. And she said, Brother Hoffman, I know what I dealt with and what God healed me of. And I know there are thousands of girls just like me. Do you think I can? And I said, absolutely. And so all of a sudden, Grace Centers of Hope heard about it. And they got a hold of Talisha's program. And then it went from one church to the next and one group to the next. And then all of a sudden, Safi's mom, they got it in Arabic. Safi's mom has 10,000 women that follow her every day on her social media page. Last week, I just signed the letters. It's been translated into Japanese and it's going to Okinawa. It's in three different countries right now. I don't know where I was going to go, but I do know this. God took a mistake and a mess and has turned it into a miracle. And now there's all these women that are getting fresh hope and saying, I'm not, uh, I, I, I should have been on a human garbage dump. I could have been, should have been, might again. But the Lord, the Lord can put Humpty Dumpty back together. And it's just possible that I'm preaching and teaching to somebody right now that there's an enemy out there that's just going to beat you to death because he steals and he kills and he destroys. But that's not the Lord that we serve. 
There's a great scripture in the Old Testament that said, if all I have is a piece of an ear or a little bit of a tail, it's talking about a shepherd that when one of the lambs would get eaten by a wolf and he's pulling pieces out of that wolf's mouth, the Lord is saying, sometimes you are going to be so chewed up that there's not going to be a lot left to work with. But all I need is an ear. All I need is just a little bit. I can do something with that that nobody else can. Please don't listen to the lie and the deception that said it's over. You got to dream a new dream. You're serving a Lord that knows all about death, burial, resurrection. This whole gospel message starts with a wound, but it ends with an amazing resurrection. But I look at where Jesus came from. They just caught one of the most notorious serial rapists in California. This guy raped women for 40 years and they couldn't catch him. He was so demented that after 20, 30 years, he kept track of these women. He would call them and torment them. 40 years. So they got this thing called Ancestry.com now. You can chase, trace back your lineage. Now they've got a thing. If you'll send us a little bit of your blood, we can, we can work on your DNA and we can literally tell you where you came from. And a smart investigator in California said, whoa, wait a minute. I wonder how many people have sent in their blood to Ancestry.com. It's millions of people. And the thing about DNA and that helix, that strand, it tells you who your relatives are. And they had DNA from this rapist. They compared it to the blood samples from Ancestry.com and they found the second cousin of this old man who's now almost 80 years old, used to be a police officer, but he had raped women for 40 years and they just put him in prison, rightly so, for the rest of his life because that blood found him. I don't care if your mother was a whore I don't care if your daddy was Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm telling you, Jesus, the Bible said your life is hid with Christ in God. Stand with me. Stand with me. Would you come with me around? I won't embarrass you. I, I, I know I've been up here a long time, but I, I haven't been here for two weeks. So I have a lot of stuff building. I have a very busy week ahead of me. I, I, I won't be back until next Sunday, but, but I... I I'm so I'm just grateful to be in church again, to be with you. And they, they call this a pulpit. They call this a pulpit. I heard a man years ago said it's an appropriate name because you pull people out of the pit. That's what I'm trying to do here right now. Jesus' name. You may be fine. You but please, if you're if everything's great in your life, please don't say, Oh, that message isn't for me. I promise you the two seats away from wherever you've been during this service, there is somebody that's in real trouble right now. And you've got to be bigger than this. It's all about me. But son, I would you, we're going to sing. I want you to raise your hands and pray and turn your prayers into praise. And let's see if God can touch someone and mend somebody and repair somebody here right now and give them the faith. The Bible said... A just man, not unjust. It says a just man falls seven times, but he picks himself back up again. So greatness is not in never falling. 
Greatness is getting up after you fall. That's why it's a great, it's a great scripture in the Old Testament. It says, rejoice not against me, O my enemy, when I have fallen. I will rise again. <laughs> Amen. Draylon's going to sing. Let's magnify the Lord right now. You pray with me. Let's believe God for something powerful. Lord Jesus, I thank you for all you've done. My heart's tender right now. I just buried my dad. But I don't want to lose that tenderness, Lord. I want to be able to minister through my pain. In Jesus' name right now. Lord, I don't know everybody here. But even if I did, I couldn't fix their problem. You didn't ask me to fix anything. You did ask me to pray so that you would fix it. I pray for their home. pray for their marriage. I pray for their family. I'm preaching to somebody that's afraid right now. You said perfect love cast out fear. You said fear has torment, Lord. I'm ministering to somebody right now that believes that there's no future in their life. I'm asking you, God, right now to remind them that you're the God that was and is and is to come. Amen. Lord Jesus, repair. Amen. Heal. Amen. Amen. Sing. Let's sing together. See if God can do something powerful right now. Amen. Forgiveness was for me.